Some make the argument that this is the national youth pastors speak Sunday morning of the year. And they make that argument suggesting that uh, the senior pastor usually after Christmas wants to decompress and de-escalate and forever he's saddling uh, uh, another staff member with the privilege and duty of this Sunday, kind of giving short shrift to this Sunday. Actually, this Sunday is one of the most glorious Sundays to preach in all the year. I love this Sunday. It's the one Sunday that everyone is anticipating the new year. And here we are butted right up against it. It's the 31st. Uh, the new year is upon us. And just for a half of a millisecond, even the pessimist wonders, well, maybe it'll be different next year. And the optimists among us, you know, they're going to take over the earth by the 30th of January. And um, everybody's making resolutions, looking down the road. It's a wonderful vein into which to preach. Now, what's interesting is January is also the month that many sign up for the gym and the next activity that they're going to take up in the new year. 50% um, of those who sign up for a new gym membership in January allow it to lapse by July. 67% of gym memberships are never used but are paid for. 80% of health-related New Year's resolutions are given up before February the 1st. So, if as a church we shall make resolutions that'll shape 2024, they must last longer than February. Now, what's true that we all know and can think about, and let's ponder it just for a moment as we begin, is that um, 2024 will challenge the gospel church in America on several fronts. Number one, it's a presidential election cycle. 2020 did much to promote division among God's people. Who knows what another day will bring forth. God does, but it looks like the same presidential ticket that happened in 2020, possibly. President Biden against former President Trump. Now, if our ultimate hopes are hung on politics, and the right people in the right places and office is our ultimate dream, then it's going to be a pretty tense year. Now, I have my biases, and I will vote with my biases. I'm right. If you want to ask me, I'll, I'll tell you. <laughs> um, but the lot is cast, and here's what's important. The whole disposal thereof is of the Lord. Our Lord is in sovereign control. Now, if, Judeo, if we are Judeo-Christian conservatives, I must ask, especially for those who get overcharged in this area, 
if we are Judeo-Christian conservatives, what are we conserving if our closets are full of scandal? Stories out of Florida this year, stories out of Texas and the Dakotas. The presidential election cycle will make 2024 a challenging year. But there's another reason. Progressive ideology will ferment and advance. That thought doesn't mix well with gospel Christianity. I don't know where we are progressing to or what we are progressing unto. We certainly have a radically secular culture that's going new places unknown heretofore. Now, what is also true for all of us is we'll all face life in a broken world. We'll face loss, new diagnosis of disease. We'll face death. Even in the last two weeks, we gave up two dear ones to heaven and gathered with families to try to encourage them. That'll happen again in 2024. Then, of course, there's the garden variety temptation to sin, the trials that we face, vexing challenges, disappointments, setbacks. How will we fare this year at Calvary Baptist Church? What strategy ought we develop to get on well in this new year? I want to try to answer that question with three musts from three different passages of Scripture, a little bit of a different approach this morning, topically, looking at three passages of Scripture and extracting three topics and concepts to think about. Go with me first to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. What strategy ought we to develop? Have a great 2024 as a church family? Number one, there's three musts. Number one, must number one, we must be alert to the reality of long COVID of the soul. Peter was a follower of Jesus. For a moment in 2 Peter chapter 2, he begins to describe the experience of Abraham's relative Lot, who lived in and around Sodom. 2 Peter 2, verses 4 through 10 this morning. Passage number 1. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness, to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if... By turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. Hear the word of the Lord. 
Now, there's one other passage, but you don't have to turn there. It's just three words. They're words of Jesus. Luke 17.32, and it's right in this story of Lot and his wife and his daughters and getting out of Sodom or not. Jesus said, remember Lot's wife. I want you to file that away. What do you want us to do, Eric? I want you to remember Lot's wife. She literally became a monument to having an undue amount of Sodom hovering around in her own life as if none of us face the temptation of being sucked into all that is made vibrant by this culture that we live in valuing what it does. Now, Lot, two things are said of Lot. Look at verse 7. It says he's greatly distressed. Verse 8 says he's tormenting his righteous soul. Now, first of all, when you read this, you need to remember everything we thought about as we went through the book of Romans. Our sin, which all of us have, separates us from God. It creates distance. But in the gospel, in the good news announcement about Jesus, God made a way for sinful people to be forgiven. And in being forgiven, their sin cared for through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Their future secured in his resurrection from the dead, Jesus overcoming hell and death and the judgment of God against our sin. And he offers the free gift of eternal life. And then in believing in Jesus, in recognizing our sin and coming to believe in him, we are given the gift of righteousness. We are given the status of righteousness such that Peter looks at Lot and calls him, here it is, righteous Lot. In being gifted uh, a status before God in believing the promise. But notice this man is tormenting his soul by living there. It's an interesting phrase. It's the word from which we get the concept of torture. You could say this, Lot was tortured living in Sodom. He was greatly distressed, verse 7. He was tormenting his righteous soul, verse 8. He's, he's tortured. Now, this word is used twice in the Gospels about a boat in a storm. In Matthew 14, when Jesus walks on the water, it says the boat is being battered. Uh, it's the same word. The boat is being tortured by the waves of the sea that are beating upon it. By the way, does anybody feel battered, uh, tortured, if you can stand that term, uh, tormented by the waves that are hitting the gospel truth that we hold so dear in our cultural moment. It's used of the disciples who are making progress in their boat in a storm in Mark chapter 6. It says they're making headway, here's the term, torturously or 
painfully, they are making headway. I say, hey, hey how are you doing? You say, Eric, I'm, I'll tell you what, I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm working against a headwind. I, I, I feel like I'm hanging on and making a, a little progress, but it's, it's tough going. Welcome to our world. And we need to be alert and aware to this sort of long COVID of the soul. Now, uh, they're still trying to figure out what long COVID is and what the whole mess is and was or whatever. But it is persistent, reoccurring symptoms that seem to be hard to drop off and pass. In the same way, those of us who have been gifted this status of righteousness will face persistent, ongoing, consistent, and persisting distress as we love righteousness and offer to our Lord a pleasing life. Now, let me say two things. Now, by the way, the first must I spend the most time on. The second must are very, the second two must are very important, but we'll spend less time on them, lest you think that we'll quit about 3.30. You can go have lunch, you know. Let me say two things. Under must number one, remember must number one, we must be alert to the reality of long COVID of the soul. Eric, what's that? That's what Lot is experiencing where he is in Sodom, as described by Peter. Greatly distressed, verse 7, tormenting his soul, verse 8. Now, two thoughts before we leave this must. And this is about having a great year in 2024, being alert and alive to this. This is our lot. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness live with a disturbed soul. In Matthew 5, 6, in the Beatitudes, on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for you will be filled. And everyone who hungers and thirsts for righteousness is going to be tormented and is going to be greatly distressed because we live in a world that's hungering and thirsting for many other things, one of which is not righteousness. We live in a new era. It is called the progressive era. I'm still trying to figure out what and where we are progressing to. Is it leading us to more human flourishing? Is it leading us to the celebration of life in deeper, more meaningful ways? Or are we going in other directions in our progressive age? We've never lived in an age that was more, and here's an old King James word, debaucherous. We've never lived in a day that was more homosexual, and underneath the LGBTQ plus A and other letters subset is uh, the whole gender issue, where a follower of Jesus Christ 
Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God comes to Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Hear the word of the Lord. That gender is a gift from our creator, God, to us. Given to be embraced and to be celebrated. And in the creative genius of God, even within genders, having different expression that's not all monolithic, but gender is a gift given to us by God. You don't have to somehow try to figure out our gender. Yes, gender is tied to biological sex, which given by God has function. We live in a licentious age. Sexual exploration is the new norm. Marital fidelity is passé. Judeo-Christian values, that just leads to bondage. That leads to repression, we are told. And then in the midst of this age, as we are, said to be a sexually liberated age. We've never had more bondage in uh, sexual addiction, whether through pornography or whether through acting out. And now we have the proliferation of the availability of everything you could ever imagine or need through the internet delivered to our pockets in our phones. We have a whole new generation of journalists and pundits of a different sort and kind who have come of age and are now the talking heads. Of course, we're all journalists now with social media and there are so many voices. There's never been an age where discernment and having a renewed mind mattered more than mattering in our own age. This is our lot. If you think sympathy with Hamas is a long way away from taking aim at people of gospel faith, you don't understand the nature of the world that we are living in in this moment. Years ago, a coffee producer called um, Nescafe had an ad that their jingle was, we need to wake up and smell the coffee. And it was a pleasant jingle trying to sell their coffee. Of all persons, a former, in a former generation, social columnist, Ann Landers, they used to write in, Ann, here's my situation in life, it's all messed up, what am I supposed to do? And she'd give, give counsel. She picked up on that phrase and argued that it's time for us to wake up and smell the coffee, that was her metaphor for quit pretending like life is not what it actually is. And as soon as we quit pretending, it will get a lot better. Now, isn't this disturbance? Remember the language again, the verbs and the adverbs. Verse 7, greatly distressed. Verse 8, tormenting his righteous soul. This, is, this expected disturbance can hurt us or it can help us. Let's allow it to help us in 24. But first, let's think about how this expected disturbance 
can hurt us. If we love righteousness, ought we not expect to be disturbed? How can it hurt us? How can it be torturous to us and hurt us? It can debilitate our character and even seduce us. You see, all of this cultural ferment, all of this turbulence can begin to appeal to our flesh. Have you run into anybody who's angry? I mean, they're just straight angry. Now, if you ask them, you know, hey, I sense you're angry. Yeah, I am. Now, I come from great Appalachian stock, and I mean, I mean the, the, the real stuff, the, 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 the real mountain people, not just foothill people, I mean mountain people. And, the, the, and the, although this is kind of a, 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 this may not be a mountain phrase, but it's at least a foothill phrase. You, you, you ever heard the phrase somebody say, boy, he was fighting mad. It meant that he was exercised in passion so much that his passion would lead him to be desirous of a rumble to settle whatever issues was going on. Now, the open secret is there are a lot of gospel Christians in America who are fighting mad. Now, I know in our perceptions of our own holiness, holiness in quotes, we think all of our anger is righteous. Now, it is true that Paul said, be angry and sin not. And to see the debilitating effects of what sin does to people, to get upset at that, that's righteous anger. But I fear that some of our passion, we're calling righteous anger, it's more our flesh getting upset that we don't live in Mayberry anymore. And that Warden June Cleaver moved out of the neighborhood. It's not 1953 anymore. It was a a lot better back then. Somebody asked um, Randolph Hearst once. They told him, hey, your paper's not as good as it used to be. And he answered, I love his quip. Oh, it never was. (laughs) He just kept going. You know, sometimes we can make the past seem to be, oh, it was was so good back, back, back then. Um. Some people are hurt by anger. We're not going to influence the world by seeing how angry we can get at the world's ideas. People get depressed. People get bitter. People get weary. Have you ever run into anybody who's panicking or who is fearful? I love Lady Wisdom. It's said of her in Proverbs 31, she smiled at the future. Who, are, who have you run into who's smiling at the future? How about people living with dread about the future? You ever met a follower of Jesus like that? Isn't it true that's not a God-pleasing life and posture? Now, there's another response, and that is not get mad, it's give up. That is, it's so hard to swim against the current, it's just like, hey, I'm going to get on my back, and I'm just going to go with the current and be swallowed up by the current and just become what the current is. In fact, there's all kinds of efforts to uh, uh, forge a so-called progressive Christianity that just embraces all these ideas under the name Christian. In that passage, 2 Timothy 4, where Paul said, I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. I've finished the race. 
That's 2 Timothy 4, 7. 2 Timothy 4, 10 describes a guy named Demas. Demas, having loved this present world, has forsaken us. You see, some people just, they get sick of fighting it and just give up. It's hard to swim against the current. Is anybody tired of swimming against the current? It's, in a word, it's torture. Dwayne Litvin, the most recent past president of Wheaton College, said, we're not the home team anymore. The dominant cultural tendency is not Judeo-Christian gospel Christianity. We're on the road now. If you've been on any athletic team, it's harder to play on the road than it is to play at home. You're less accustomed to the surroundings. It's a new environment that's not that old, tried and true. You've been there a million times in practice. You've hosted games. We're on the road now, and that's okay. By the way, you know what? Joseph didn't do too bad in Egypt. And old Daniel didn't do too bad in Babylon. Let us not be... Scourge, away games are harder. So let's be aware that this can hurt us. Now, it can help us. Let's let it help us. It can stiffen our resolve and shape our motives. This tension can also greatly aid us if we let it. Let's let it in 2024. You say, Eric, how on earth could Paul say, I fought a good fight? By the way, I love those last two words. I fought the fight. John White, the British psychiatrist, before he died, wrote a book on the Christian life that InterVarsity Press published entitled The Fight, aptly titled for a book that describes the nature of living for Christ in our age. It's a fight. Paul said, I fought a good fight. I read that as a boy and thought, oh, that's a, that verse is nice. Every day I get older, I admire that verse more. I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. Do you know how many are jettisoning the faith? Ex-evangelicals, people who used to be gospel Christians, they argue now they are not. They've got beyond that. Ex-evangelicals, that, that's a thing now. And uh, describing your deconstruction story, uh, that, that's a thing now. I fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. How do we do that? Well, what we do is we translate that torture, we translate that greatly distress into energy for a God-pleasing life. We fold it into our will that stiffens with fresh resolve, with a yearning to please this one who loved us and gave himself for us. Looking forward to the great day when we can stand before him and present a life of obedience, present a life of faithfulness, present a life of perseverance. What did Jesus say? He said, don't let these days discourage you. Raise your head up. Your redemption is drawing nigh. Who has the raised heads? Is it Gospel Christians in America, will it be Calvary in this year? Remember Hebrews 13, 14. This is another way that it can help us, as if we need other reminders. Here, we have no permanent city. 
but we look for the city that is to come. I mean, how many funerals do you have to go to or visitations or how many letters do you have to write to your friends who have suffered loss? Uh, Drew Baker, who comes and preaches for me, he uh, reached out over Christmas. He said, oh, please pray for my wife, Linda. Her brother got the flu. Quickly, his kidneys went downhill and he died, 62 years old. He says, now we're gathering for the funeral over Christmas. It's like, how many of these do we have to go through before we realize here we have no permanent city? But we are looking for the city that is to come. And it's okay not to have a permanent city here. By the way, isn't it true that when we read a verse like that, we feel our earthboundness? I love my family. I love all the, I love life. I love what God's called me to. I love the things in life that I enjoy. Here, nothing lasts forever. Here we have no permanent city, but we look for the city to come. You see, we can allow this cultural ferment to remind us, look, not be here. There was a guy, when Garrison Keillor was doing uh, National Public Radio, let's see, the Prairie Home Companion. He used to publish that every week. And um, fascinating stories he would tell. He's a great storyteller. Well, there was a guy named Richard K. Allison in Minneapolis uh, in the 90s who decided he would have like a, a gospel version of a prairie home companion. Well, he started out and he, he had a great band. And uh, it was a live recorded program, and, um, or live broadcasted program. And um, he had a great band. He called them the New American Standard Band. And every time, I, I, I searched, I couldn't find the track. Uh, and, and, and as soon as they got up and going, but the, the, the New American Standard Band's theme song was, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. Um, and and the, the, it was a real jazzed version of that was just really cool. I was going to play it for you now, but I'm, I'm lame at finding stuff. Part of the reason I couldn't find it was no sooner had he opened up and they got off to this super famous start, then he was stricken with cancer and died. And I remember two things. I remember Richard K. Allison's creativity and his great storytelling and his love to tell the story of the gospel. And I remember the New American Standard Band singing, This World Is Not My Home. And I remember that Richard died and that really that song was iconic. Uh, even for the story of his life. Followers of Jesus live for something more than the next weekend. We're living for eternity and living for this one who loved us and gave himself for us. Now, we all have to go into the year. We must think about long COVID of the soul. Now, the next two are quicker, but come to the second one in the book of Mark. The book of Mark. Chapter 9, Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John. The other disciples are down below waiting on them to return, and they run into a father who says, Look, my son is beset with an evil spirit, and I want you to face this with him. And they failed miserably. 
Jesus comes off the mountain. He deals with the situation, imposes the authority of the living God in Christ upon the circumstance and brought wholeness and healing to this little boy. Mark 9, 14. When they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately, all the crowd, when they saw him, that is Jesus, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse. So that most of them said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Second must, we must be engaged in the absolute necessity of prayer. The disciples were stunned by their ineffectiveness. Now welcome to our this kind of age that is so in need of prayer. This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. 2024 is the functional equivalent of we disciples running in to this little boy, this kind. There's an English word, genus. That's the Greek word, genus. Remember high school biology and BUDAC when we tried to memorize the taxonomy? K-P-C-O-F-G-S, remember that? Kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, genus, species, G, genus. That's this term. It means a class in the taxonomy. We had to memorize that once upon a time. Come on, didn't four of you at least had to have high school biology at one point. The Greek term means a common ancestor, a class, a descending class, a class by itself. This is Jesus' point. This particular challenge was a class by itself beyond the personal resources of the 12. Look at verse 18, what is said. So I ask your disciples to cast it out. Notice the next five words. And they were not able. And they were not 
Abel. Have you ever been there? It's the threshold of a wonderful place. As soon as we get to the point where, God, I can't do anything to affect the change I would like to see in this marriage as I try to help this couple. God, I can't do anything in the life of this person who has this besetting, addicted habit that is ruining their life. I'm at the end of my rope. That's a wonderful place to be if you're reaching for somebody in ministry. And it's not until you get there are people joyfully serious about prayer. Because when you get there, you realize, what's the old line? Uh, It's just about living. But when we have exhausted the store of our resources, when you get there and they were not able, it's a wonderful place to be because you immediately go to your knees. We go to our knees in our weakness and say, Lord, you got to help. Churches who see this age for what it is are churches on their knees. The disciples were ineffectual. I don't know about you, but I'm too old to work at ineffectual things. I want to cry out for God's help with you and watch him do things that would make us laugh because we all know it had nothing to do with us and how cool and savvy we were or cute we were. That's not going to cut it at all. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. Let's reach for that avails much. The prayer of a righteous person has great power at its working, James 5, 16. I will soon be 40 years graduated from Dallas Theological Seminary. And I've been thinking a lot about what it was like when I first graduated from seminary to minister and culturally, what it's like now, what it used to take to captivate uh, our friends and the surrounding culture and the kind of responses you can get, where we are now and what it takes now. I, I, I've been processing some thought in this particular area. Now make no mistake, God is still at work. The gospel is still today the power, and we need it, the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. But don't you realize with me that No cute, slick thing is going to help us. What we need is a release that is fresh of gospel power. And churches who understand that will ask for it together. The key to ministry in 2024, I'll tell you what it is, Eric. Let's get a $6,000 smoke machine. And then let's give orbiting radiuses on the spotlight that, that, that really can get a lot of vectors going and in the smoke. This stage looks so cool. If we would just have that, we, we would really go someplace. No, I, I, I have less faith in that. Or Eric, let, just, just be cool, Eric. Long ago, I realized that, you know, the, the, the cool, you know, that, that, that's not going to work either for Calvary. You're stuck with me. I'm like John the Baptist Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's all we got, and that's all we need. And when we realize that and get on our knees and beg for his help, all amazing stuff can happen. And it's churches who understand no slick marketing campaign or no Madison Avenue uh, job is going to get us forward. I mean, aren't we down to the brass tacks of, God, unless you do it, it's not going to happen. And he's still doing it. And it's still happening. And I want to cry out in 24 with you together for it. 
and then let's all die smiling. I think much more effectual than a $6,000 smoke machine and $12,000 worth of orbiting spotlights is the 302 people who tomorrow morning at 8.30 will get the 10 requests for prayer and access Calvary and commit to praying one hour cumulatively this week on those 10 requests. I think those kind of things will have a much greater impact upon our 2024 than any cute thing that I could do or try or we could try together. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord Almighty, finally. And I, I, I did not, I did it in the first service, I didn't do it. I'm going to have an invitation this morning, and it's going to involve this card that is in the worship folder. And I'm supposed to give this disclaimer at the beginning. I didn't, I will now. Don't you dare respond as some gesture in front of others. But if you are committing yourself to a response before the Lord and want his help, and it's joyful, I want you to do it. But I'm going to be asking you at the end of this service, while Eric Swinford brings a message from our Lord urging us to stay at it, to use this card, he's going to sing. You can get out of your seat and you can put it in this basket as he sings, reaching for others in 24. In 2024, I purpose to pray and reach for, and you'll write some first names here, and we'll put it in because our third must is this. We must sustain an intentional effort to reach for others who have not yet come to follow Jesus. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? Romans 10, 14. Our church will be what we will make it together here at Calvary and nothing more, nothing more than that. God uses people in his work. Great churches are what people make of them. Our outreach will be as effective as our collective resolve to love others reach for others, our personal persuasion and leverage that we have through a credible life. By the way, people are less and less responsive to corporate efforts to reach together with things that churches sponsor and more and more persuaded by what they know to be true and cannot dismiss in the authenticity of that life of the person next to them who loves them and is speaking to them and serving them, speaking to them with gospel words and serving them with gospel love. What contribution am I making individually to the collective whole at Calvary Baptist Church? What contribution are you making? If the whole church was you, what kind of church would it be like? If the whole church was me, what kind of a place would it be? By the way, this is, it's, the whole church is not one person. It's part of the genius of the body. Everybody's not an elbow or, or a wrist or a neck or a head. We, we need all the body parts together. But we're only as good as what we will work on together. How good are we? What are we doing? Our faith is always one generation away from dying out. Lots of churches are closing. This is the open secret. Churches lacking a resolve to share Christ will first bury their dead. Then they will close their doors and sell their church. 
And they're not going to believe unless we tell them. That's Paul's point. How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they haven't heard? Reaching for others is a life-giving discipline to any church. Have you ever met a Christian who is alive into Christ and their faith seems so vivid? Poke around in their life and see if it is not a regular habit for them to intentionally be praying about people that they are next to, talking to people that they are next to, loving people that they are next to, seeking to reach them for Jesus Christ. John Piper, uh, the preacher in Minneapolis, now retired, said his dad, preacher, was always happy. And he studied on it and figured out that he was always happy because he just loved to tell other people about Jesus. And he found that when his dad would tell other people about Jesus, it would strengthen his dad's faith. And it would invigorate his dad's commitment to Christ, this one who loved him and gave himself for them. Sharing your faith strengthens us. It deepens us. It encourages us with joy. We will have a great year. We must keep in mind the long-term COVID of the soul. We must be committed to engaging prayer. And we must be resolved to share our faith. We'll have a great year if we're like Doug and Sharon Martin. There are global partners who extend our ministry. Doug was diagnosed this, this year with stage four prostate cancer. And they dinked around with it and didn't do too much with it in his area. He's at MD Anderson now in Houston, Texas in a six-week pretty intense battery of radiation that's preceding some other exotic treatment. And here's Doug, who carries around in his heart this yearning that other people know Christ. This is Christmas Day in a rented place that allows him to get proximate to his radiation therapy daily. This is a, a Ukrainian couple that he met on the street in Houston walking around to a street. But Doug is not there feeling sorry for himself, wondering why me, God. What Doug is doing is he's saying, okay, God, you have placed me here now. What can Sharon and I do? Who can we touch? How can we reach for others? And they run into this Ukrainian couple. And they had a lovely time on Christmas Day over a wonderful meal, sharing hope. This week on Exodus Calvary, we'll be praying for them. If we're like Doug, we'll have a great year. I want to have a great year. Let's have a great year together. I want you to think, and I want you to pray. If God has moved you, I want you to use your card. And as Eric sings, I want you to come right out of your seat as he sings. Drop your card in the basket. We'll be praying over these cards. Let's pray now. Father, how do you want this message to touch our church and shape our year? We don't want to pay the exercise fee and never go. Lord, we don't want to have a good first week. We want a wonderful 24 that's full of a sensitivity to our need to hunger and thirst after righteousness, even with the accompanying tension that we will have. Lord, help us not to talk about prayer and have one or two people pray on a Sunday, but be a church that recognizes this is a this kind of an age that will only be faced with prayer. Oh, Father.
Make us a church together, vibrant in faith, because we are sharing our faith with others to the very people that you have placed around us. Not unlike Doug and Sharon, down in Houston, Christmas Day, with this sweet Ukrainian couple, and Luca, their little boy. Oh God, make us strong and healthy because you are at work in our lives. Pray in Jesus' name.